You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. Man, it's good to sing songs like that, isn't it? The Lord is good all the time to us, even in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our heartaches. And it is when we have our focus on Jesus that no matter what comes at us, it can be well with our soul. Thank you, Ben, for leading us. Thank you, Justin. And um, man, I'm excited to be with you this morning. I must say I'm excited to be with you. I'm actually not very excited about preaching this passage this morning. Uh, this is not one that was planned out months in advance. In fact, we had an open week for this week. And uh, it was one that after uh, much discussion with many folks and prayer time uh, for me that the Lord uh, brought clear direction. And um, I must say that every time I preach on this particular subject, I don't really look forward to it. It's not something that I find is uh, enjoyable for me. It often kicks me in the gut before it ever comes to you. That's how come I think sometimes that uh, it's harder for me to preach things. But uh, in this particular one, it's not only that, it's because the subject matter is something that most of us hold very close to us. In fact, I think it's extremely personal for most of us. It's a subject matter that I think that you'll, you'll find that we want to be open and act like we're open with as Christians, but honestly, most people in general are not very open with these things. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, we'll get there together. Um, it's something I struggle to preach with, or preach about, because I know how easy it is to offend people with this subject. And I know how much I, as an individual, as a man, don't want to offend people. I don't really enjoy that. I, I, I don't mind sometimes having good discussions that sometimes we can get our hearts wrapped up into, but I don't really like to offend people, and people often get offended when you talk about this particular subject. And uh, I think that's because, um, one, it's very personal, like I said already, but two, it's because everybody around you just tells you not to talk about it to other people. But we're going to talk about it today, and we talk about it at least once a year here, and uh, it's a subject of money. It's a subject of giving, and it's a subject that uh, at first you're like, well, I feel really relieved, right? It's not something worse or harder, but it's something really on the inside that is really, I don't know about for you, but for me, when somebody tries to speak into my life about how I should spend the money that I have in my possession, it's often not received well from my own heart. And so just know this today, that as we look at Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, we're going to look at a story about a guy who asked a question about money, and Jesus then gave a parable about money. And I wanted you to know that actually out of all the 39 parables that Jesus gave, 11 of those were about money. In fact, uh, he talks about money a lot more often uh, in the scriptures and has reference to money uh, than he does even heaven or hell. Uh, he talks about money more than we actually realize. Maybe that's because we just subconsciously put it away when we hear it in a category that doesn't affect us personally. But I think that it's something really important for us to see. In fact, we talk about giving in the church. We talk about tithing, which means to give a tenth out of your income. The first tenth should go to the church is kind of the saying of that, a tithe. And a lot of people struggle with that. In the New Testament is actually greater a lot of the times when Jesus talks about giving. Because of being more generous, we see in the New Testament. But we do see him give some um, homage to the tithe. We see that right in the chapter right before Luke 12 and Luke 11, verse 42. He's warning the Pharisees, and he says this. He says, but woe to you, Pharisees. In other words, 
Curse upon you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So it's the only place we see him encouraging an actual tithe. And they tithe out of it. What are you saying? They tithe out of every little thing they get, but they've neglected the weightier matters. He said you should do both. So Jesus never doesn't talk about how you should deal with money. He talks about it in radical ways, though. And this is the kind of the simplest and the most direct, straightforward way he talks about it here in Luke eleven forty two about the church and tithing. But really, though, in a lot of other places, it's way more extreme. Remember the guy that came to him and said, hey, I've, uh, how do I get to eternal life? And he says, you know, obey the commandments. And he says, I've done all that. He says, well, then sell everything you have and come and follow me. And what does the guy do? He leaves. He doesn't follow him because it's really difficult. That's some radical statement about giving away all your stuff, right? And he says some similar things in here. In fact, later on in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, he says things like, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with treasure in the heavens that does not fail. I mean, he, he gives radical statements about money. So why are we going to talk about it? I think we need to talk about it because Jesus talks about it so much. And the more I've studied it and the more I've looked at it, the more I've realized that I think radical giving or radical generosity is actually at the very heart of being a Christian. I'm not saying that to try to get you to give more money to the church. I'm saying that because it's just a truth we all need to talk about. Radical giving is at the heart of being a Christian. And I don't just mean treasure as far as money. I'm talking about time, talent. Uh, everything that you have in your life, giving that to the glory of God, giving it to others, serving others as God has served us in Jesus. So we're going to talk about it. So the question then is, why don't we give? Why don't we give more than we give? Why don't we, why aren't we more generous like Jesus? And I, I think there's several reasons for that. Sometimes it's because we think, if I give, I won't have enough to do this other thing I need to do. Or if I give, I may not have enough to pay this thing when it comes due. Or if we give, I may not have what I need to do the things that I want to do with the money that I've earned, right? Sometimes we don't give because we lack sympathy for other people. I'm not saying that's you. I'm talking about me a little bit. Sometimes I lack a little sympathy when I walk by and somebody's asking for help. Um, We lack sensitivity to the needs around us sometimes. Maybe it's a lack of faith. We don't believe God will take care of us if we are over and above in our generosity, even when God leads us. You know, you're, you've been in that place before where you're in a moment and there's a need and you know that you have this inkling inside you should do and give to that thing and you kind of battle with yourself about it. You ever been there before? I mean, generally speaking, our souls are bent towards sin. And so if there's ever anything about doing something that looks like Jesus, it's probably not because it's just of you. It's probably because the Holy Spirit is kind of leaning you in a direction. And we struggle with that in our giving, some of us more than others. But it's good for us to note that it's all over the Scriptures. Acts 4, 5, and 6, it has demonstrated some crazy, astonishing, proportional giving. And that was part of the way that the world around these new believers saw and knew that something had happened in them and they were different because of the way they gave, because of the way they took care of one another. And that's because radical giving is at the heart of being a Christian. One pastor says it like this. He says, giving is a reality check on every one of the virtues. You can't worship God. You can't love your brothers and sisters. You can't change the world without radical giving. Again, financially, time, talents, serving one another in that way. 
here's the problem. When we look at this in just a second, we're going to see that the problem that's kind of discussed is not just about giving, it's the problem of the heart. And the problem in the heart that prohibits us from being generous is a greedy problem. Now, greedy is a, greed is a weird sin. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but not many of us ever classify ourselves as a whole, long-term, as being greedy. If I asked anybody in here, if we were all just open and didn't care, and I said, hey, who struggles with greediness in here like in a major way? I don't think we'd see a hand go up. Most people don't think they struggle with greediness. We struggle a little bit, you know, admit a little bit, but most people won't admit that they are really greedy because it's a very deceptive sin. We don't recognize how much it entangles us because none of us really think that we're that greedy. Here's a truth. Though. There was a study not too terribly long ago, um, a study that showed that of all the people that make six figures or more in their income, at least two-thirds of those in the United States feel like they still don't have enough money to buy everything that they need. Not want, but need. That's a big statement. I think most people under six figures would think that's crazy. But the truth is, we struggle with generosity and giving, and money is an area that we don't like to talk about or deal with too much. Therefore, that money, the love of money, can turn to a greediness that's a deceptive sin, and it can be a huge indicator of our spiritual estate. A huge indicator. Let's look at Luke 12. We'll start in verse 13. And right before this, Jesus has said some things. In fact, uh, he's really clear. He says, I tell you in verse 8, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God, but the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. It's a big statement. And then right behind that, this guy walks up and says to him in verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? So this guy just walks right up to Jesus and just off the cuff says this. Now, it's not terribly strange because back in those days people would have a discussion or a fight about something they would go not to a judge they have a judge system like we do they would go to a rabbi uh, preferably one in the sanhedrin and they would then go and let that person arbitrate what was going on because they would do so according to biblical grounds that's how the jewish folks would do it and so this was not totally abnormal except that jesus is not one of those particular rabbis but he sees him as a teacher so he says teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me and Jesus' response says, man who, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, the crazy thing is we know that Jesus is an arbitrator and judge over us. So why would he say it like that? That's what he says. And he goes on and he said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. That's greediness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Look at that again. Take care... And be on your guard against all covetousness. This is actually, a, I'm going to change it to greediness. I struggle saying that word. You guys struggle with covetousness? I can't say it very well. So we're just going to roll right past it and call it greediness. That's what it is. It's by wanting more than you're actually due. Okay, that's, that's greediness, covetousness, and the actual just straight up definition biblically. He says, take care. It's actually saying, watch out and be on your guard or, or guard against all greediness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Actually, it says one's life does not exist in your possessions. And he told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me pray. Let me ask the Lord to lead us through this. Father, we struggle with a lot of things in our lives. And for most of us, I believe, Lord, we struggle with the sins that are difficult for us to see in ourselves. Lord, help us this morning by opening our eyes to anything that needs to be changed, any sin that we need to repent of, and that, Lord, you would strengthen us by your powerful Holy Spirit who would lead us in the path of righteousness for your name's sake and that we would live life in a way after today that would give you glory and honor in this way of being generous like Jesus. We ask that you help us, lead us, guide us, shape us, and, Lord, just continue to love us as you have. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So that verse 15 kind of seems to be at the uh, center of it all when he says, watch out for greediness. Be on your guard against greediness. Now, it's easy for me, I don't know about you, it's easy for me to walk right past this and say, yeah, those folks that are greedy need to watch out for greediness. Well, why does he say it like that? And we've already talked about it a little bit. I think it's because greed is so deceptive on us. So I want you not to think of other people today. I want you to think of self. I want you to think just about you. And I want you to, to ask the Lord to open your eyes, your hearts, to understand if this is a struggle for you more than you realize. We're going to walk through a few things in this passage, I think, that might bring some light to that. But nobody really ever feels that they're greedy. This is probably why Jesus speaks ten times more often about money than he does about sex. You know, as a pastor... I don't ever see anybody coming to my door talking about the fact that they struggle with greediness. You know, I get people that come to my door and knock on my door and want to talk to me about how they struggle with pornography or lust or they struggle with anger or they struggle with a lot of things. But I've never had anybody knock on my door and say, hey, pastor, can I talk to you for five minutes? I'm really struggling with greediness. It's never happened. But it's in the list of all those big passages about sin. Have you noticed it there? Colossians 3 and in Ephesians, Paul talks about it there. It's always listed with all these sins. You never see Jesus saying, watch out for adultery, it'll sneak up on you. But he says here, watch out for greediness because it will do that. It's deceptive. It's so seductive and deceptive that you and I are actually denying that we're affected by it right now, probably. Whenever we draw that line of greediness, it's usually out in front of us somewhere. It's never behind us where we've crossed over it already, right? So why is this something that Jesus spends so much time talking about? It seems pretty innocuous compared to others. Not too many people seem to be, from our apparent viewing, just knocked down real far by greediness. We don't know too many people we could name that seem to be that greedy. We probably know a lot of people that are struggling with a lot of other sins that are really impacted by those. So why does he spend so much time talking about it? And I think, I think it's because it's a much larger problem in us than we think. It's not just a money problem, it's actually a faith problem. It's not just a possessions problem, it's a love problem and a hope problem. Jesus actually looks at this guy and calls him a fool. In the Bible, that word fool is used a lot. If you go back and read the Proverbs, the contrast between a wise person and a, and a, and a, and a, a fool, 
A fool is someone who is not living in step with reality. Another way to say that biblically is that a fool is someone who believes they know better than God in how to do something or how to make a decision. They think they know greater. And we know that doesn't make any kind of sense when you know that God is the author of all things and holds all things rightly and is the most wise. But we think we can do something different or better than him when we hold on to something that we can use it in a way that is smarter than him. That means that we are acting like a fool because we're not walking in step with reality. And that's hard in money because we keep it so close to the vest. We don't want anybody to see it in us. We don't want to talk about it with anybody else. Wealth, money, and possessions blinded this guy. Look, he just, Jesus just said, you've got to be ready to talk about me in front of anybody. He comes up and he starts saying, hey, would you go make my brother give me my part of the inheritance? Right? And this guy doesn't even realize in the parable that's told, he doesn't realize his great needs. Or what's coming at him. He thinks he's secure because of his finances, because of what he's got. And notice even that Jesus, when he talks about these possessions, he's not really concerned over the possessions. He's concerned about something greater than that. You know what Jesus is almost always concerned about when he's talking to people? It's about the heart. He's always concerned about the heart. Look at it, verse 21. At the end of this parable, he says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That being rich toward God means spending, giving, being generous with what you have towards God. I mean, towards His kingdom, towards His message, towards His ministry that He sets forth. And more concerned about doing it for self. Look at verse 20, uh, sorry, verse uh, 32 through 34. Let me read that again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, but the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So here back in verse 21, he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And then in verse 34, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever you tend to put your heart on, that is where your treasure is. And you can tell what that is because if you don't get that thing, it tears you up on the inside. Or you're often worried about losing that thing. Or you're satisfied when you have that thing. So whatever it is that draws your heart, that's the thing that you treasure the most. So I think that none of us in here want to be fools. Is that a fair statement? Maybe say it out loud. None of us wants to be fools, right? Right. I don't want to be a fool. I don't think you want to be a fool. None of us wants to. I don't think anybody ever enjoys being called a fool. So if we want to make sure we're not living in a foolish manner, we need to take a few minutes to examine ourselves according to this scripture and see whether or not this sin of greediness is actually a problem for us. So let's do that. Are you ready? The rest of you hopefully will catch up to us. Verse 16 through 21. Let's look at the parable again. I want you to notice this time how many times this guy uses an I pronoun. I or my. Okay? The guy that's in the parable. He told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I, I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be married. At least ten times. This is the easy one. Okay, This is the one that we all think we've already got a handle on. But we're going to say it anyway because it's here. If you are selfish with your money or possessions, you might be greedy. Right? 
That's what he's talking about him the whole time. He's not worried about other people. He's not worried about what God wants for this. And apparently in the parable, and we know it's, that's the truth because Jesus is telling the parable. And he points out later that he wasn't rich toward God. So if you're selfish, listen, how often do we see our possessions and wealth as ours? We don't want to say it out loud right now, but I do. That's my bike. That's my toy. That's my house. That's my car. But these things are not ours. You know what happens? Before you got them, they belong to somebody else. And when you get rid of them or when you die, somebody else will get them. And ultimately, God has them all. He gave them to everybody. He gave all the things they were made with. And at the end of the day, He gets it all back. They're all His. Everything belongs to Him. We are but stewards for a season. If I give you this illustration, if, if we're getting ready, well, that's it, my wife's getting ready to have a baby, right? And when that happens, we're going to ask somebody to come over and hang out with our kids and watch our house, and feed the dog, and take care of the kids, and to be stewards of our family and our possessions. Okay, we're going to be gone not worrying about it. We're going to have other things to do. Somebody's going to take care of those things. Now, if I were to pick, say, Jeff to come do that for me. Jeff is freaking out inside right now, thinking he might get called. If I were to pick him to do that, if, what would it look like if he were to come over and do that? And let's say it took several days before we were able to make it home, but in that time, he started kind of thinking of that house and that car and that dog and those kids as being his. And by the time we came home again and we started taking possession of those things back, he'd get really angry about that say, like, no, these are my things, right? This is my stuff. That's just silly to even say it, isn't it? It seems silly to even talk about it like that. But that's how we are with everything in this world that's been given to us as our possession. But it's silly because it's all God's. You and I made nothing out of nothing. Ex nihilo. God's made everything by speaking it into existence. It's all His. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, whether you've got your name on them or not, right? It's all His. So let us not be foolish. Let's watch out for the greediness of these possessions which are ours that end up actually possessing us, because that's what's going on here. This possessions owned this guy enough to where he tore down his good structures and built larger ones, spending even more of his stuff to store more of his stuff. Let us be generous instead, like Jesus, who did not hold tightly to the things in this world, but instead, he wasn't selfish. He was generous with his life, even to the point of death on the cross. The only one who had the right to be selfish because it all belongs to him. He owns it all, but he gave it all up in order to gain us by paying the debt that we owe. He paid off our debt to God so that we could be with him forever. Paid to adopt us into his family. His enemies. Let us become more generous like Jesus, right? It's not ours, it's his. It's hard to live in that, but the Lord can help us do that. Look at it again, verse 16 through 21. I want you to notice this time about the security that we see in this guy. He told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? That's a real problem we'd all like to have most of the time, right? i got to go get another bank account. It's got too much. They won't let me hold any more. Verse 18, he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You see, he's just secure. He's like, I have nothing else to worry about anymore. I'm just going to hang out. I'm going to chill. I'm going to enjoy it. 
Do nothing else. Maybe you don't have any worries financially. Maybe, maybe you don't have any worries. You've saved and you've saved and you have nothing to worry about. You can rest in your saved up possessions and treasure. Maybe you've set yourself up for a great retirement and now you can just sit back and enjoy whatever luxury you want to enjoy in your silver years. I mean, all of us look forward to that, right? This is the only place we actually see Jesus alluding to anything like retirement and it's actually not in a good way. At least not spent in this way. Retirement's not bad. Don't hear me wrong. Retirement's not bad. But what we do with our retirement is indicative of our hearts, which is indicative of our spiritual reality. So how do you plan to spend that retirement? How do you plan to spend the money you're saving up for that retirement? How, what are you going to do with it? It's okay to take a step back from what you were doing, but are you still going to be investing in the kingdom? Not just financially, but with your time, with your talents, with everything you have. You don't, you don't just get to a point of retiring in kingdom work. It's forever. It goes on forever. This man stored up everything, saved up everything, as if this world was all that there is. As if there wasn't a spiritual reality that he lives in. To not save anything is to deny that we live in a material world. That would be foolish as well. But to save everything up for that, and to not spend any of it on the kingdom, would be to deny the spiritual reality in which we also live. And that is not looked upon well, as this parable states. So maybe... Our reluctance to spend our wealth on others is a faith problem, right? Not trusting that God's going to supply our needs. Maybe it's a love problem. Do we love our possessions more than we love Jesus? Of course not. Maybe we just love our possessions more than we love Joe down the street. Or maybe we love our possessions more than we love this particular thing the Holy Spirit is saying to give to. So in essence, we kind of are not loving God as much as we love those possessions. I'm, I'm not... I'm not talking about you and trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying this is struggles within my own heart. Maybe some of you relate to this. Maybe some of you don't. I know that in our family, my wife is super generous, and I'm the penny pincher. Okay, if I look at the finances, I get I get frustrated. I just have to like not because she does anything wrong or I do, but just I just immediately get frustrated at it, and I have to just like let it go. And she's always the one encouraging me to be generous, and I struggle with being generous. I'm thinking, we could use that for this. We could use this for this. We could use that for that. And I'm like, okay, I know the Lord's saying do this thing. It takes me a while to come around to that. And she's always generous even in her patience with me. But some of you struggle with generosity and some of you don't. Some of you are always generous and some of you are never generous unless the Lord really kicks you hard. But even when we're pretty good at being generous, there's usually something that we get greedy about. One pastor said basically that money you spend on yourself cannot go with you, but money spent on people lasts forever because people last forever. That's pretty impactful for me. So let us become more like Jesus and being more about thinking, okay, God, how do you want us to spend your money? How do we need to be giving more generously our time, talent, and treasure? Let us become more like Jesus in putting our greatest possessions and wealth toward the things that Jesus was most generous toward, his Father's glory and people that he died for on the cross. For there's no greater return on investment than the return that you invest in the kingdom that will come back multifold for the kingdom's sake. Now, let me just switch gears real quick because I want us to notice, though, that some people are not carefree. 
if I could say this, how many people actually feel pretty carefree most of the time? Most of you are probably not going to raise your hands. I don't. I'm just saying, raise your hand if you feel pretty carefree most of the time. It's okay. It's awesome if you do. Okay? few people. Mostly younger. Right? Most of us struggle on the other end of things. Usually we struggle with worry. Maybe you aren't carefree like this guy, but you're often fraught with worry about what's coming at you or about your finances or lack thereof. Maybe you don't think you're going to have enough to take care of an issue, whatever it may be. Look at verse 22 through 27. We're going to carry on down a little bit here. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For this, for life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, and they have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you were not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Now, I know that to hear those words, you're like, well, thanks for telling me not to be worried. That helps, right? It never helps. But we need to understand that to worry about something is to set our hearts on something. I talked about it a little bit earlier. Let me say it like this. When we are worried about something, it's often a faith problem because what it is is we're setting our heart on something we're afraid of losing. We're afraid of not obtaining and that means that we're putting our faith in that thing to bring us joy, to bring us happiness, or bring us security. And if we could just remember that in the grand scheme of eternity, God's already provided everything we need in Jesus, it changes the perspective on everything for us. That's a really hard thing to do. But let me remind us of a little secret that you already know and that I have to be reminded of regularly. Our possessions, our wealth, our treasure, our talents can never protect us from the trials in this life. You realize that, right? No matter how good you are at basketball, no matter how big your IRA is, it will not stop you from getting cancer. No matter, no matter how much money you put back in the bank, no matter how great of investments you've made and how much is at your disposal, it'll, it'll never keep you from, being, from having to face death of a loved one or even yourself. There are things that cannot be overcome. And we put our hope in these things, and we think that they're so important, but a lot of times we're worried more about that than we are about kingdom things. But Jesus is the complete opposite all the time. He's worried more about kingdom stuff. This is, this is the part about greediness that's so deceptive. We think we're about kingdom, but oftentimes internally on some of these back things that we don't think about too much, we're not focused on much kingdom. At least I'm speaking for me on this. Has he really paid all that needed to be paid for us on the cross? Yes. Has he really given a son who is infinitely more valuable than any other possession we could possibly have? Yes. Has he already made the way possible so that we really can say, even if they come take the house away, it's going to be okay? Yes, we can say that. It, can we really say, even if I can't pay that medical bill, even if I can't get the thing I think I need, my, my kids will be okay because God is going to take care of us. And in the end of the day, even if it's a hard time, even if it's a struggling time, I know this, that in the end, when I'm with him, it will feel like that was a light and momentary affliction. And it's going to be okay because Jesus has secured me on the cross. Yes and amen. That is the truth for us. But our eyes get off of that so quickly. So let us find that even if we often worry that we do not stay there, but we run to Jesus today and find that security for our lives is only really found in Jesus. And therefore we can be generous like Jesus. 
giving away our time, talent, and treasure. I want you to hear this too, lastly. If you look to money or possessions for your worth, you might be greedy. And you may think, I never do that. I don't ever do that. Let me look and see what it says in verse 27 on. Look with me. Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? You see, it's a faith problem. Verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Look, fear not. In other words, don't worry. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Many of us, though, feel like we're not enough. Some of us think that we're more than we are. (laughs) The opposite side of that is to think we're not enough. You've gone through something, something's happened to you, you've always struggled with this idea of not being enough, not being able to live up to the standard. Many of us feel that way, but it's an illogical thing if you've been bought with the blood of Jesus. It's not true that you're not enough. And no matter what haircut you get, no matter what shirt you buy, what dress you wear, the makeup you put on, the car you drive, the house you live in, the neighborhood you live in, the school you go to, none of that stuff is going to bring you worth. You're still going to have the same struggles because our worth is never found in the things that are external. It's always found intrinsically. And if you've been found to be purchased by the blood of Jesus, then your worth has already been demonstrated on the cross. And the one who's worth more than all of creation was given to you so that God's ultimate treasure, Jesus, was given to have you brought to his home, to brought into his family. And that determines your worth, and your worth is solidified and is solid, and you don't have to worry anymore about somebody not thinking you're enough. You don't have to worry about what everybody else thinks. You don't have to worry about keeping up with the Joneses. You've got to worry about walking in lockstep with the Holy Spirit because he's the only one that we need to care about making proud. And even when you mess up, you know what? He loves you anyway. Because Jesus already paid for that mess up to you. Our possessions, our bank accounts, our beauty, the respect we want, all that stuff from people will never amount to what God's given us in Jesus. When we finally see and accept that God has spent his ultimate treasure on us, then we can steward everything with loose hands. And that will change us from the inside out as individuals and corporately as the church. So let us be generous like Jesus. And the world, listen, the world is going to look at you and think you're crazy. When you start living this way, people will look at you and think that that's nuts. They probably won't say it to you at first, unless they're really close to you and they'll try to talk you out of it. When you start living that generous kind of way, it will make people look at you like you're crazy. But that's okay, because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that the cross is foolishness to those who aren't saved. It's a stumbling block to people. But in 2 Corinthians 8 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So Jesus gave up everything for you. Tim Keller, a pastor who's now struggling with major cancer in his life, who has impacted many people, he's planted a church in New York City. Um, he kind of sums up this whole idea by, by this. I'm just going to quote him. He says, Do you know what it means to become a Christian? 
Every other religion says, store up, do your good deeds. And at the end, say to God, I'm full, and God's going to let you in. But Christianity says, no, 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 no. If we unite with Christ and be Christians, we have to do exactly what Jesus Christ did. And if you go to God and say, I'm full, he's going to say, you're empty. But if you go to God and say, I'm empty, he'll say, I will now fill you. If you come to God and say, I have nothing, I have nothing that I can merit my salvation with, I am weak, I am meritless, I don't deserve it, then God says, come on in. It's the same thing here. Money will blind you to that, though. Once you see it in yourself, this love for money that we don't like to look at, it will change your attitude toward your money, and you will live differently. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the point, right? Jesus Christ gave up his entitlements. He came to earth. He was entitled to be protected, and he was destroyed on the cross. He was entitled to glory, and he got chastisement. He got shame. He was entitled to these things, and he lost them so that he could have us, you and me. He gave up everything. And only when you see God treasuring you at infinite cost to him will you start treasuring the needs of your neighbors and your brothers and sisters in Christ at the cost of our money, because it's just money, and it ain't ours anyway. Look, I know this is not easy stuff, but I'm asking you to commit with me to becoming more and more generous like Jesus, time, talent, and treasure. I'm not saying you've got to put it in the box on the way out the door here. I'm just saying that you walk in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. And when he says to give radically, you give radically. When he says, hey, no, no, you don't need that extra thing. You don't need this new thing right now. Spend that money this way, that we would just be obedient that we've become more now like what we're going to be when we go to be with him forever. Sons and daughters that love to honor him. Then let us spend our money and our possessions, our lives, really his possessions, his money, his lives, because he purchased us on the cross in a way and on things that value and are valued most by him, on his people, on the kingdom, on those things. Let us then be generous like Jesus. Look, it's not a fun thing to talk about. It's not a thing to struggle with. But let me tell us this that I had to be told myself this week. It's something that's needed for us to look at. So today, let's go to the Lord and ask him to bring it to light and show us where we need to repent, even today, of some things we're not doing this in. Hopefully, you've not had the, the need for that. But let's go before him now and ask him to work in us in that way. I'll pray. We'll sing together afterwards. Father, I need you to work in me. I believe there's others here that need to know where we struggle with greediness. You've been so faithful, and you always are, Lord, to show us these things. But, Lord, we want to be not like the fool. We don't want to lay up treasures for ourselves. We want to be rich toward you. And, Lord, you alone can show us how much that means and where that needs to go. So, Lord, we ask you that you would make that clear to us and that you would help us to be obedient, that as we lean into you, that your son Jesus would become our strength and that we would repent immediately and do whatever it is you set forth for us to do. But Lord, we really do want to see your kingdom come even now. We want to see your name made great in this place and outside these walls. Lord, we want to be a part of that kingdom work, not just with our treasure, but also with our treasure, not just with our time, but also with that, and with our talents. And in every way we can serve, Lord, help us to be more and more generous so that we look more and more like the selfless Jesus 
that died on the cross for us. Lord, that we might look like Jesus is our prayer and would be our glory. So we ask that you do that for your glory's sake and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as 12th Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for family.